Hey, welcome to Pickled Parables. I'm your host, Jesse. And today we get to hear from Pastor Michael Turtelot as he shares with us an overview of the Psalms. This book is considered by many to be the most well-regarded and, and meaningful part of the Bible because of its honesty and its emotionally charged words. Michael will be sharing with us an application that we can take from the Psalms and how it should influence our daily practice of worship. Michael is a pastor at Emmanuel Bible Church in Pratham, Oregon, who serves the youth and the young adults of the area. Michael has a particular passion for teaching and presenting the Word of God to Christians and those interested in the God of the Bible. So I'll turn it over to Michael now and let him share with us his study on the Psalms. Hello, welcome to Pickled Parables. My name is Michael Turtelot, sitting in for Jesse, and today we're going to talk about the Psalms and about the importance of honesty in the Christian life. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, chances are you've had what I would call the Sunday morning greeting experience. This is where you walk into the crowded church foyer and greet five to ten people on your way to finding your seat in the sanctuary. Each of those interactions lasts about five seconds and runs something like this. Hey, good morning. How are you? One of you says. Then the other replies enthusiastically, I'm good. How are you? And the first responds with equal or greater enthusiasm, I'm doing well. And then you're each on to your next five-second greeting. Isn't it incredible how Sunday mornings are the only day of the week when no one seems to have any problem that would lead them to be anything other than good? Of course, that's not really the case. Were we able to hear each other's thoughts on Sunday mornings, we would catch the whispers about the stress we feel about making ends meet, or the fear we have concerning a wayward child, or the doubts about God that we kind of keep ignoring, or the frustration we feel toward him because he hasn't come through in the ways that he seems to indicate he's supposed to come through, or the guilt that we feel from succumbing to sin minutes before walking through the church doors that makes us feel unworthy to be among such saints who clearly don't sin in such egregious ways. So when the Sunday morning, how are you, comes our way, our minds flit to thoughts like these, but no matter how desperately those honest thoughts are pressing down upon us in the moment, we feel compelled to reply with as much enthusiasm as we can muster, I'm good. Now, on the one hand, such greetings are innocuous and even wise. Five minutes before the service starts on Sunday morning is probably not the best time to unload your heaviest burdens on a brother or sister, except in the rarest and most urgent circumstances. But I can't help but wonder if there's a better way for us to represent our current states of mind and heart more accurately while still not disrupting the church proceedings. Because I'll tell you this, God wants us to be honest, even brutally honest, especially with him. For instance, contrast the Sunday morning greeting experience with Psalm 88. O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. 
I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead, and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down like wave after wave. You have engulfed me. Selah. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my eyes to you, my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Selah. Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? Oh Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. Oh Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I've been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. And that's the whole thing. I didn't leave out some last line that says, but I know that you're going to show up and make everything all right. Nope. Darkness is my closest friend. The end. Imagine getting or giving that response on a Sunday morning. How are you? Well, I'm full of troubles to the point where I feel like I'm close to dying and that God has abandoned me and also made all of my friends abandon me. How are you doing? And yet we find these sentiments poetically written, meant to be set to music in the Bible, unsoftened by any ending proclamation of faith in God's coming salvation. Such psalms are why I say God wants us to be honest. The Bible as a whole is an unblushingly honest book, and that is nowhere more clearly displayed than in the poetry of the book of Psalms. It should be said from the outset, this will only be the briefest of introductions to the Psalms, if that. It's the longest book in the Bible, made up of 150 individual Psalms, and Whereas other books of the Bible tend to focus on certain periods of redemptive history or tend to be shaped around a cohesive train of thought or argument, the book of Psalms is a collection of poems by a host of authors compiled over the course of Israel's history from Moses to after the Babylonian exile, like a thousand years. So these poems touch on some of the same themes here and there, but they're otherwise unrelated to one another. And so... We will discuss some of the most basic and obvious characteristics of this book, but a true overview would take hours at the very least, and we only have minutes. However, I heartily encourage you to explore the many interesting themes and facets of Psalms. In fact, the goal of this lesson is to get you to do that, really. 
So go, trace the theme of justice through its pages, or the theme of God's word, or allow the personification of nature that's seen so often in these songs to transform how you look at the natural world. Consider the overarching structure of the book of Psalms that seems to reveal a purposeful organization orchestrated to draw people's attention into a consideration of his faithfulness through the generations. Now, we don't have time to walk down these rabbit trails today, but they are well worth the effort it takes to explore them. Rather, what I want to do today is consider the question, what is the point of the book of Psalms? Why is it in the Bible? What about this book makes it important enough to be one of the few works included in Scripture? And so, what might it offer us in our pursuit of knowing Jesus and the Father better? To answer those questions, we're really just going to consider the most obvious characteristic of this book, which is that it's poetry. In his reflections on the Psalms, C.S. Lewis says, What must be said is that the Psalms are poems, and poems intended to be sung, not doctrinal treatises, not even sermons. Most emphatically, the Psalms must be read as poems, as lyrics, with all the licenses and formalities and the hyperboles, the emotional rather than logical connections which are proper to lyric poetry. They must be read as poems if they are to be understood. Otherwise, we shall miss what is in them and think we see what is not. The Psalms are poetry and must be read as such. However, Perhaps of equal importance for the 21st century English-speaking readers to know is that this is not poetry as we commonly understand it. If you come to the Psalms looking for rhyming lines in English or for iambic pentameter, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Hebrew poetry was much more about comparing and contrasting ideas and about repetition than it was about the poetic devices of English poetry that I just mentioned. The primary distinctive of Hebrew poetry is parallelism. As you read the Psalms, you'll notice, even in the formatting, that lines are grouped together by twos and threes for the, for the most part. And these groups of lines typically treat the same idea from different angles, sometimes building from one line to the next, sometimes offering contrast or any number of other things. Simply put, these lines go together and they relate to and inform one another. Take, for example, Psalm 1-1. Line 1 sets it up and reads, Blessed is the man. So, what kind of man is blessed? Well, lines 2 through 4 paint a picture to answer that question. Line 2, Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked? Line 3, Nor stands in the way of sinners. And line 4, Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So it's easy to see the progression through these lines from walk to stand to sit, which indicates an increasing comfort in the company of the wicked and sinners and scoffers. And through this progression, the reader gets a clear picture of the blessed man's character by contrasting it with the wicked man's character. So understanding the interrelatedness of lines within the Psalms immediately opens up greater understanding of what's going on. And this parallelism is present in every single psalm, and so it's one of the few things common to the entire book. 
And the real beauty, and I would say the divine providence of this aspect of Hebrew poetry is that it is relatively unaffected by translation. And so the Psalms have been passed down through the ages and have crossed language barrier while still preserving much of what the authors were trying to do. This repetitive device makes the Psalms and Hebrew poetry in general ideal for communicating ideas with depth and breadth, and so ideal for communicating the deep truths of relationship to God, which touches on a major purpose of the Psalms, which is to connect the heart of man to the truth of God in a memorable way. And this is one of the innate powers of poetry in general, and especially poetry set to music. Ideas expressed poetically and musically tend to get stuck in your head, sometimes despite your best efforts to the contrary. Ask the average Christian to recall a handful of memory verses they learned in Awana, and you're likely to hear John 3.16, followed by a whole lot of excuses. Ask them to sing, Jesus loves me, or he's got the whole world in his hands, or this little light of mine, and you'll probably just hear them sing those songs without delay. I'd be willing to bet that pretty much everybody listening to this has more songs than Bible verses memorized. And the poets of Israel used this aspect of poetry to full advantage and actually supplemented it through the use of devices such as the acrostic. An acrostic was a poem that followed the Hebrew alphabet. So it started with the Hebrew aleph, and then each successive line or sometimes each successive stanza would begin with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. As you can imagine, this would have been really a really helpful mnemonic device because you would always have a clue as to what was going to come in the next line or the next stanza because you knew what letter it should start with. The most famous acrostic of the Psalms is Psalm 119, which is an ode to the Word of God and the longest psalm in the book. So, so the Psalms are employed to convey truth memorably. Then the final obvious characteristic I want to point out about the Psalms is that they are largely concerned with processing the realities and experiences of life along with the accompanying emotions through the lens of faith in a God of steadfast love. This means that oftentimes, as Lewis said in the lines I quoted, the psalmists are making emotional connections as opposed to purely logical ones or theological ones. It is this characteristic that leads to poems like Psalm 88 that I read at the beginning. Because I'm guessing that the psalmist of that psalm had a bit more faith in God than this one example would seem to indicate. But such a psalm is less about conveying objective theological truth and more about the honest expression of the current state of one's soul, which sometimes is devoid of robust hope. But what is the point, you may ask? This just sounds like needless, even obsessive introspection. What is the point of expressing doubts and fears and feelings ad infinitum? After all, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We shouldn't give it free rein to indulge its wayward inclinations. Jesus even says that out of the heart comes all kinds of evil. <clears throat> to which I reply, 
You're absolutely right. Actually, I would say that's understating the problem. The problem isn't just that our hearts are the source of our sin. The greater problem is that we're supposed to love God and man with those hearts. The greatest commandment originally given by Moses to Israel and then reaffirmed by Jesus says we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, along with all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. So if the problem was simply that we had a defective heart that served no good purpose, we could just learn to shut it down and ignore all of its impulses. But the fact that we are called to love with our heart means it cannot just be ignored. Rather, it must be healed of its plaguing sickness. And this is where honesty plays an essential role as the first step in that healing process. As Jesus says, it is the sick who need a physician. And it's a small leap to say it's only the sick who seek a physician. Denial is a deadly thing because it causes the curable ailment to, in effect, become incurable. The first step to getting help is admitting that you need help. And the Psalms are a master course in admitting the need for help and crying out for it. As I said, the poetry of the Psalms is about connecting the heart of man with the truth of God, which means there are two things you see over and over again throughout this book. Men admitting the state of their hearts and lives with honesty and then declaring their faith in God's salvation. My hope and prayer for this episode is that it will make you want to read the Psalms and for that to give you language and license to be honest with yourself and with God. Because you can't get to where you're going if you don't know where you are at. And I want you to get closer to Jesus, which can't happen until you admit where exactly you are in relation to him. So, read the Psalms and let them connect your heart, whatever its current state, to the truth and goodness and faithful love of God most clearly displayed toward you and Jesus. To close, I want to share the beauty of the kind of honesty we've been talking about. Obviously, I've focused on the problem and disorder of the human heart and honesty's role in helping reorder our hearts according to God's truth. But the human heart isn't so simple. Twisted though they are, like our whole selves, our hearts still bear the image of God and so retain some of that goodness. And just as honesty will unveil the worst in our hearts for what it really is, so too it will unveil that residual goodness. Which means that when you're honest enough to admit that your life is, quote, full of troubles, is when you'll be able to also say, I'm good, and have it actually be true. The human heart is indeed full of wickedness, but sometimes, by the grace of God, it fills up with praise, 
which overflows into song. And what a beautiful evidence of God's work in your life it is when your heart genuinely cries out in the words of Psalm 150, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. Thank you, Michael, for presenting and submitting to us the Psalms of the Bible. I would encourage you, listening, to take a moment and read a psalm or or two and to meditate on the honesty of the authors. Think of it as, as like a song, something displayed and vocalized before the Lord and among your brothers and sisters. In your own practice, be honest with the Lord in your prayers and and then go share your honesty with a trusted brother or sister. We certainly are creatures of burden. We carry baggage from our past or we carry guilt in our present or we anticipate carrying anxiety for the future. Or maybe, maybe your honesty isn't about a burden, per se, and it could be something more subtle, like that just acts as a roadblock. Whatever your confession, present it to the Lord and trust that He hears it. The Psalms truly are wonderful because they speak emotionally and and they give words to those who just can't find any. So thank you for joining us this week. This is going to be our our last bi-weekly gap before we return to weekly episodes, so that's very exciting. Uh, But until then, I'll catch you later.